0: All right, so we're going to continue this morning uh, through finishing the Gospel of, of Mark. And if you've not been with us for a while, we've been doing this, I counted it up. We started this almost a year ago. This journey through Mark. Uh, We didn't do it every week, so it's not fair to say. But I think my math was like 33 weeks over um, of 33 Sundays over about 42 weeks. uh, We've been in the Gospel of Mark, so um, not not too bad. Pretty good. Pretty good run here through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, honestly. I'm saying as we get into this today, like last week was the culmination of the series. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you maybe check it out on the website. Not that it's great preaching, but it's a great story about Jesus. I mean, it is the point to his life, the point to his coming to earth, to die on the cross and be raised from the dead. And, and, and that's where we ended the story last week. As a matter of fact, if you've been following along with us, you know that we read and talked through Mark chapter uh, 16 verses 1 through 8 I I wanted to Say to you one more time in the series, the way I've I've done this, not that it matters too awful much, but I printed out uh, the entire Gospel of Mark. You can do this, by the way, on your own if you ever want to do a study. It's an awesome way to do a study. I took out all the headings that tell me what to believe and what to think, all the citations, numbers, all that stuff is gone, just the text, and I just read through it. And wherever I felt like there was a good break, or, you know, that's where we stopped and kind of talked about that section of Scripture. Last week, it happened to fall on the eighth verse of the 16th chapter. So then after I had kind of made that decision, discernment from the text, I opened my Bible, and lo and behold, there was a a break right there already in there. As a matter of fact, um, my Bible has a nifty little line through the text right there. I don't know if anybody have that in your Bibles. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, uh, grab one on the end of the chair rows. They're orange. They're laying there, you know, there. Be sure to look at the Word. Uh, Don't ever take, listen to me, don't ever take someone's word for what the Bible says. Like, we live in this time where you can read it for yourself. There's no excuse except maybe laziness not to be willing to open the word for ourselves and see what the Bible says. Um, so I'd encourage you to do that, myself included, right? read it for yourself. But if you have a Bible like mine, you may have a line there at verse 8. And so before we get into today's text, which is going to be 9 through 20, I want to spend just a minute talking about verse 8 and verse 9. Okay? I guess the question I want to start with is this. Today is the last day of the Gospel of Mark, so is the Gospel of Mark over? Like, have we already, I told you, I felt like last week was the culmination of the whole intent of the story of Jesus. I told you when we started the Gospel of Mark those 42 weeks ago that actually Mark is a breathless gospel teller. He runs to tell you the truth of who Jesus is. He never stops to take hardly any break. That's why it took us long to get through it. He's just constantly sharing more information about Jesus, more revelation about what they've experienced in him, and more truth about who he is until it culminates in the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And so this week, um, we have kind of a, a shift here, starting in verse 9. As a matter of fact, like I said, there's, there's actually a line under verse 8 in my Bible. I want to talk about this for a minute. A little bit of the truth about the inspiration of the scriptures. It's going to be a little deep, maybe a little, I don't know, maybe not too deep, right? But a little church history-ish, a little, we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to actually talk through God's reliable word. But here's the thing. The reason there's a line in some of our Bibles, the reason that some of your Bibles have these verses in italics is because they are not found in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible. Uh, for many, for two of the earliest, they're called codec- codices or codex is. <laughs> um, for two of the codex, they aren't there. The Gospel of Mark stops at verse 8. And honestly, the whole time I've been rolling through Mark, I've been concerned about what are we do when we get to end the Mark? You're here on a special Sunday, not because Labor Day. I've never preached these verses before. <laughs> I don't seek out these verses to preach. Because there's questions about, are they originally inspired? Or were they added at some point through history? And this is a big controversy. Matter of fact, sometimes people who are outside the church, they love to lament the, in, the errors in the Bible. <laughs> they love to say that that's a, a true fact, as if it's true. I don't believe that is true. As a matter of fact, the reason this passage is a big deal to me is because I believe that the Bible is God's inspired word written to his people so that you and I today in 2017 can read it, understand it, and live differently because of it. As a matter of fact, live differently because we believe in his son who died for our sins and live out of the truth of scripture because it is reliable and relevant and not filled with error. And so when I come to a passage like this, I'm like, what what does that mean? A few facts about this. You might think, well, it was added, you know, how recently it was added. This is a crazy thing, right? As early as 150 A.D., these verses were included in the Gospel of Mark. We know that because there was an early uh, church teacher who taught from this text and wrote about it and quoted, I think it was verse 19. So we know that it has, that's pretty early. When you think about Jesus who who, um, died around, what would it be like, 30 uh, 33 a.d give or take right a few years i mean you're talking really early the earliest letters by the way if you don't know this are the epistles are written by the disciples as early as 60 people writing letters about jesus but we have this this uh, teacher using these texts as early as 150 a.d but get this Biblical scholars by 300 350 already begin to realize that the earliest pieces of fragments they're finding don't include these verses. So, so the question becomes, what do you do with them? Do you include them or not include them? And I can't get off on this rabbit trail, but there's this whole thing that happens with the Council of Nicaea where they canonize scripture around 400. And you can look into that if you want to if you're curious about how it is decided upon. Um, I believe it was decided upon by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what I believe, what to include, what not to include. It was contentious. Well, that's one reason that, you know, we can say, "Eh, is, is it reliable? Should we, you know, should we really hang our hats on this? Another reason, one reason is because the early, there, there's missing codex, right? It's not there. But another reason is um, there's a clear change of voice, like how the text reads, which is exactly why I stopped at eight last week, not because I knew that's where I was supposed to stop. When you're reading the, the word, it just kind of stops there. And then you have this, this kind of change in cadence, and we'll talk about it today as we go through this text, but this change of cadence in how the story is told, right? I, I would almost, matter of fact, I call it the addendum, it's almost like they got to the end of the gospel market and said, oh, there's some stuff missing. We we should tell the rest of the story. And they added the text. I I don't think it was anything that was uh, um, nefarious. Is that the right word? Um, Of evil intent. Um, I think it was to communicate the full gospel. We'll kind of see that as we we go through these words. The last thing I will say is this. Man, if I can just lay this out for a minute. I've been in my house before and I had people knock on my door. Do-do-do. Hey, have you read this track? No, I haven't. You need to read it. It's about your salvation. Okay? I've had people knock on my door. Have you read this book? No, I haven't. It's important you read it. It's about about your salvation. I've met people at work, my old job, before I was a pastor, who said, have you read this book? No, well, you should read it. I've done it every time. Every time someone's approached me and said, you should read this holy book, I've read the holy book, and I've asked God, God, if this is of you, if there's more, and people who would tell me to do this knew what I believed, they knew what I believed, what this book says. And and so I would say, God, if this is of you, show it to me, reveal it to me, because I trust you, and then I've read it. I've not found any book. You're going to say, this is obvious, because you're a pastor. That's not why, man. It's because us, a pastor. This is the only book I found that's alive. This living and active and breathing. That you ask God, show me truth through it, and He'll show you truth through this. I've read those other books. I've read the um, Jehovah's Witness tracts. I've read the Book of Mormon. I've read the Quran. It's not alive. This is alive. The inspired Word of God. So I want to say, lastly, as we get into this, is that we can trust God this morning to, to show us the truth of what the Scripture says. That we can rely upon his Holy Spirit, which is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That was the same whenever God spoke the world into existence. The same the day that Jesus was raised from the dead, hallelujah. And the same the day that we will meet and live with God forever face to face. The same Spirit preserving his word for us. And so we can have uh, um, confidence in that. So I want to lay it out before we get into it. That was a long introduction, but I want to lay it out because I want to pray, and I just want to talk about what that says and and kind of dig in a little bit and and see what we have here the addendum, the ending of the Gospel of Mark. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we stand before you fully acknowledging your presence. You know, uh, Dale said that this morning already, that we're two or three together. You are there amongst us, and we believe it is true it is not something that we have invented or have to try to manifest, but you are true to who you say you are, and we know that you are here with us right now. Father, we confess that you have made yourself known to your people, that even in our sinful state, we recognize that, that you were there and we were far from you, and you have saved us, that you have drawn us to yourself, uh, nothing of our own, but your Im- immense grace for sinners that you've drawn us into relationship with you. I ask this morning as we, as we um, talk through and as I preach and as we uh, pray and we understand your word that you would inspire us to understand it. That you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, oh minds to think deeply and hearts to believe, Father, that you are uh, teaching us these things from your word. If it is not of you, I pray it would not stick. I, I pray if it's not of you, Father, God of the universe, that nothing would leave this place that wasn't of your Holy Spirit. But you are the living God. You are the Creator. You are the Savior, and you're the Lord of all. You're the King of kings. And so, because of that, we submit ourselves to you in this time. Glorify yourself, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to pick up where we left off uh, last week, which is right. after the resurrection of Jesus. Matter of fact, if you'll remember with me, I'm going to read this verse 8. Uh, the word, we're going to be in 9 through so there are a couple times already but in verse 8 it says trembling and bewildered women went out and fled from the tomb and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid even though the young man had said go tell the disciples this and tell Peter that um, they did none of that stuff at the mark says they ran away because they were afraid by the way this idea of God's revelation bringing about fear in his people is consistent throughout mark we, that's one of those markers of Mark, that we see that when God speaks, people get afraid. <laughs> when God shows up, people get afraid. It's a marker throughout the gospel that um, God is active and, and moving and um, a bit overwhelming, I would say, right? All right, so verse 9. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. Interesting. 10. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they had heard Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not, did not believe it. I'm just going to read through here. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. Um, these returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. It's twice Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating, and he rebuked them for their lack of faith, their unfaithfulness, and for their stubborn refusal to believe those whom, uh, who had sent, seen him after he had risen. So, so, so we have kind of three encounters here very quickly. We have Jesus and Mary Magdalene, and then we have Jesus and the guys on the road, and then we have Jesus and the eleven. And when You see it says the eleven right there. Remember, Judas betrayed Jesus and then killed himself over it. So there's 11 remaining disciples or apostles um, that are still waiting for Jesus. It seems that these were the 11 that Mary Magdalene had gone and reported to. It seems that these were the 11 that the two guys on the road to Emmaus came back and reported to. And these were the 11 that did not, as according to this text, did not believe when they heard the truth that Jesus was raised from the dead. So we have these kind of... um, Movements. I don't want to belabor too much this, but it's interesting. By the way, another reason that maybe this is an add-on to the original text is they re, we reintroduce ourselves to Mary Magdalene, who we just heard was there at the tomb in verse uh, one of chapter sixteen. Um, when Sam was over Mary Magdalene, right? She's already there. So we and and Mark doesn't bother to introduce her. <laughs> he just says this is Mary Magdalene. But then here we have in, she's introduced. She's the one that Jesus drove the seven demons out of. Um, she, she went and saw Jesus. Um, now, here's the, the, here's the danger, I would say, with wanting to say, you know what? I, my Bible just ends in verse 8. I'm not going to read anything else. What we find after verse 8 is biblical. It's not non-biblical. As a matter of fact, if you look up in the other Gospels, you will find the appearance of Mary Magdalene, or Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene in both the Gospel of Matthew, right? That's the Gospel that's primarily written to the Jewish people. It's there. Mary Magdalene, right? Sees Jesus. He appears to her. Um, you will find it in the Gospel of Luke. Luke, by the way, is the Gospel that was written to try to encompass all the history, and, it, and it's actually part of Acts. So it's Luke Acts, and it's um, Luke who is trying to put together a, a complete history, a complete story of Jesus Christ. Um, compiling that information uh, that, that we might believe. And then you will also find Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene in the Gospel of John, which is the fourth gospel. John, I believe, is the longest gospel. That might not be correct. Um, but it's a completely different gospel in the way it communicates about Jesus. Right? Let me just say one more thing before we— this is a little textual thing, but, you know, it's a holiday weekend, so we'll just take a minute and do it, Right? Some people will say, well, why don't all these Gospels exactly agree? They're, these three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptics. And they, they, they kind of lay over each other almost exactly you can kind of find. And then you have the Gospel of John, which is like its own animal out here, talking about the glory of Jesus Christ and this relationship you can have with him. Many times when people are new to Christianity, they'll say, read the Gospel of John because it's a very personal account. I happen to love the Gospel of Mark. That's just the way God saved me. and I love that. But, um... We might say, well, why are they A, so similar, those three, or B, not all exactly the same? It's a real historical human event. We talked before about how if you and I left this service this morning and explained to someone outside what we experienced today, we probably would not tell the exact same story, but we'd tell very similar stories unless we were having a completely different experience, <laughs> right? Like dozing in church or, you know, um, some other revelation that no one else is getting but you. But if God did something consistently through the whole body, we would probably tell very similar stories, although not exactly the same stories when we left, this is what, how we understand Scripture, right? God inspired people to believe. God inspired people to tell the stories you have to know about Jesus. And then God inspired people to write them down. God inspired um, people to say, preserve them and, and indeed divinely, miraculously, preserve some text that we just found recently and God can inspire us to believe it and understand it ourselves. Which is why it's different. It's completely different. And so we can trust in, uh, in this. Okay, fair enough. So that's a little synoptic gospel thing. So we have this thing about um, Mary Magdalene being in Mark, or in Matthew, yeah, Mark 2. Uh, Matthew, Luke, and John. So captured in all the gospels. Um, now, the second thing then, oh, they did not, they did not believe it. Ironically, that's only found in the gospel of Luke. Um, that means in the Gospel of John when Mary Magdalene tells him, there's no mention that they don't believe her it just kind of goes right past that to more important issues but Luke says they didn't believe her when she said she had seen Jesus raised from the dead alright how about this one then afterwards Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country these two returned and reported to the rest but they did not believe them either this, if you read your Bible, is included in the Gospel of John. It's called the road to Emmaus. Um, Jesus is going on the road. He, he pretends. The only time you find in the Scripture Jesus pretending anything, he pretends he's going to go further so that they would invite him into their home. They invite him into their home and he breaks bread. And when he breaks bread, they recognize Jesus. They did not know him until he broke bread. And as soon as they saw him, he was gone. They couldn't believe it. They run back to tell the disciples. And the disciples in the Gospel of Mark. Don't believe their testimony. That's found in John. If you want to look it up. Um, And then this other one here. Uh, Let's see. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them. Now this is interesting. For their lack of faith, their unfaithfulness, and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he was raised. Jesus comes into the room with the eleven, and you have heard the story before. Again, this is captured in the Gospel of John. John appears. Ma- Mark here records it, but before this, he doesn't, troub- he doesn't record it. But here it's recorded. But in the Gospel of John, he appears. And what's funny is, in the Gospel of John, it's only um, Thomas, is it not, who's doubting. Well, I guess the first time he comes and he appears to the eleven, I guess they weren't believing until then. Then they believe, but Thomas is out, running errands. And he comes back, and he's like, well, I wasn't here for it. So then Jesus comes back again, into a closed room and says, Thomas, put your fingers here in my hands, touch my side and believe. His infinite patience, listen, with our unbelief. He's infinitely patient with our unbelief. We're having a conversation this morning, right before service, about the need to share the gospel and that idea that what about those poor people who haven't heard the gospel? God is infinitely patient with those who are not believing. And so we have this Jesus showing up in the room appearing to the eleven while they were eating and he rebuked them for the lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe the ones who were sent to confess, seen him and said he was raised. Okay, fair enough. So that's a little bit of like connections to other gospels. I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Okay. Um, Seems to me that the gospel of Mark is captured through 8, and then as the story is being shared and told and stuff, someone goes, oh my gosh, there's more to the story we haven't captured, and they, and they kind of add it onto some. It's not a, it's just, let's get more of that story down. That's a really good part of the story. We missed it. Let's write that in here. That's just the Bill Dempsey, uh, you know, take it for what it's worth. <laughs> but, but they kind of add those in, and that's not a bad thing because you should know that those things did happen, that they were historical facts, that they were recorded. All right? Oh, and one more thing. Uh, this one happens twice in all of Scripture, that there's some questions about codex. I was down at the uh, pastor's conference, or up at the pastor's conference, a few of us went, and um, there was a Bible display. Uh, it was amazing. You could see the codex. You could see the original um, uh, parts of the original book or pictures of the original book. You could, they had, all, and uh, the history of the Bible and how it was preserved. And it was, it was really, uh, truly amazing. But the most amazing thing is how much of it aligns and doesn't disagree I think the quote I heard was something like, "Out of 500 pages, there's less than a half a page of differences throughout all of half the New Testament, all of the uh, or half of the Old Testament, all the New Testament. There's very little. Most every codex was copied accurately. It's amazing to it, it, you feel, you know, um, you sense the when you were there, the miraculous preservation of the word and the divine history." We get so full of ourselves in 2017. Thousands of years of history preserved that we might believe. We should respect that. Okay, so you have these kind of different um, stories being told here. Now, verse 15. This is where it gets fun. (laughs) Okay. Um, Doctrine. So Jesus is going to say some things here to those 11 who he just rebuked for their stubborn refusal to believe. And this is what he says to them. Uh, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will, uh, and they will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. A whole bunch of, I would call doctrinal teaching Right? That Jesus lays out here all of a sudden on the disciples. I want to walk through them a few at a time. First of all, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. That should sound pretty familiar to us. Right? At the end of the Gospel of Mar- uh, Matthew, it says, um, go therefore into all nations, uh, baptizing in the, name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and them every- to obey everything I've commanded. Right? So um, go and, and, and share the good news. But what's interesting here is that the command in Mark, which I just am flabbergasted by, is go and preach God, the gospel to all creation. Th- that's what's different to me. It-, it doesn't say go and make disciples like, like Matthew does. It says go and preach the gospel to all creation. Um, there's some interesting historical kind of tendencies here. Um, I'm trying to think of who it was. Was it... Um Uh, Francis, who would preach to birds, I think, is that the guy? I mean, just some interesting things of like the salvation. I had a friend of mine one time, we were playing pool, and and he's not not a believer. I hope that someday he'll come to faith in Christ. My prayer is that someday he'll come to faith in Christ. We were playing pool together, and he said, what about dogs? How are dogs saved? He goes, they get their own Savior? I wasn't theologically prepared to answer that question in the middle of a game of pool on a Friday night, you know? But then I'm reading, I'm like, no, it says, preach the gospel to all creation. You might think that that's a strange thing. You go, well, no, wait, did you just say dogs are saved? <clears throat> wait, <clears throat> okay. Let's go back real quick to the very first promise God, God makes to his people. Do you, you know what it is? The very first promise, covenant God makes. It's after the flood. He says before the flood, I'm going to make a promise to you. But after the flood, he makes the promise. The promise, the sign of the promise is the rainbow. Do you know that? The, the sign of the promise is the rainbow. And, and what the word says, it's in, it's in Genesis um, 9. The, the word says that every, God says this, every time I see the rainbow, I'll remember my promise to you and I will not destroy all the creatures of the earth. This is my covenant to you and to every living creature. Isn't that interesting? So, so in a way, this is like a call back to the, that this gospel is for everything to be renewed in Jesus Christ. Everything to be restored in Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about a theology of resurrected animals. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that God has a plan for all creation. And, and the author of Mark says, and that should be what we proclaim to the world. Proclaim the gospel. Okay, so we dealt with the creation issue now here's but look at this I want to talk for a minute. Disciples are commanded to go and proclaim good news. Listen, church, it's something we got to get right and I got to get right in my own head. What we primarily are called to do is to go and proclaim good news to the nations. I'm a little passionate about this because just recently I was talking to a friend of mine who used to go to church and doesn't go to church anymore. And they said, I quit going to church because I was tired of Christians making me feel bad about myself. And I thought, well, we are sinners. (laughs) I mean, I am a sinner. There's some of that that's probably appropriate. But then, as I thought about it, I thought, I get what you're saying. That primarily, Christians should be in the business of saying, I have good news. Jesus died for those sins, not you're stuck in your sin. I feel like there's this thing where we're supposed to say, you you need some accountability for your behavior, you need some accountability for your sin, I need accountability for my sin, but I need someone equally to come to me and say, but Jesus died that you might be forgiven for your sin. Is it a license to sin all the more? Paul says no, but grace abounds. We should be proclaimers of good news. Man, I just feel like we live in a time where everyone's kicked in the mouth, kicked in the teeth. And we can be people saying, I get that and I have good news for you. Right? Remember the story we talked about Jesus being kicked in the mouth, kicked in the teeth. I know a, a God who understands that kind of suffering. I know a God who suffers in that way that you and I can be free. Just think we need to live there a little bit. Maybe I'm preaching to myself this morning. Just live there a little bit. We should proclaim good news. All right. The second, the second thing. There's five of these, by the way. Or three. Three. Okay. There's three and then five subsets in the third. Anyways. All right. Here we go. So the, 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 um, the next thing he says here is, Uh, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. I just want to stop with that for a minute. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. I call this doctrine for a reason. So my question immediately when I read that is, oh my goodness, is baptism required for salvation? Because that's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will, will be condemned. So, so I was thinking, is that what that says? Because honestly, I've contended for a long time that baptism is not required for salvation. As a matter of fact, the only thing that requires salvation is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he said, it is finished. And therefore, whenever God calls to His kingdom, the work is done. You do nothing. I do nothing to earn my salvation. God gives it to us. He rescues us. The Bible says that we are dead, dead in our transgressions and sin. And God rescues us from death and calls us into life. This is the good news. So when I read that, I'm like, What? So salvation is required. I mean, belief and uh, baptism is required, right? No, I don't think so. (laughs) We'll talk about why in a minute. But I have another question. If you want to read that and say, wait, is baptism required for salvation? I have another question. If you're believing in Jesus Christ, why would you not get baptized? If, if you believe in, you know, if this is a doctrine you're holding to, that baptism is required of salvation, I believe in Jesus Christ, therefore I will be saved. I believe that's biblically accurate. But my question for you is, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, why would you not make a public profession of that through the act of baptism? There's a lot happening in baptism. We recognize that Jesus was dead and that we were dead in our sins. And he was raised in the tomb and we were raised to new life. And that the Father and the Son were there and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove on Jesus and anointed him. And it was a marker in ministry if you read. It's in every one of the gospels the baptism of Jesus. And, and I have to wonder, for people who go, I, 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 I'm just not, I'm not going to do that. Why? Why not? As a matter of fact, the stories I remember from the Bible, as soon as people believe, they're like, can I get baptized? Like, they just immediately want it. As a matter of fact, if I may, this morning on this holiday weekend, uh, an unbaptized believer is like an unchurched believer. I just believe that's true. A <laughs> baptized believer is like an unchurched believer. We live in a time where people say, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. Oh, the church is full of hypocrites. Oh, the church is this. And I'm not saying this to you this morning because I'm a pastor. I'm saying this to you because I love God's church. I, I don't mean family Bible church. I mean His people. I love his people. We were out at the point after Friday Night Football game, and we were out there hanging out with a bunch of pastors, and I'm stoked to be out in the community. Why? Because I love God's people, and I want more people to know that they're God's people through the blood of Jesus Christ and become God's people so we can have more people to hang out with. I told you before, we make it a point to seek out a place to worship when we're traveling because we love the people of God. Matter of fact, some people weren't here this morning, and my prayer is that if they're somewhere else vacating, that they find somewhere to worship with the people of God, because church uh, believers belong with the church. All right, end rant. Just kidding. If you don't love God's people, you're going to be miserable in heaven, (laughs) because it's filled with his people. Like, think about your eternal salvation plan. I'm just going to wait till I get there, and then all these people are going to be like, no like this is a taste of it like and not every time man because the church does stuff wrong you know i get that and we hurt each other because we're sinful people but this is a taste once in a while you get a taste you know you're you're in worship and you get a taste or you're talking to a brother or sister and you get a taste you pray the lord moves and you you go down and you, you know you give your life to christ or you repent of your sins or god's convicting you of something right now in your life and it's a taste of the glory that's to come. it's the same thing as this act of obedience in baptism. Okay, why, why is it not required? I've heard great pastors I, I, that I respect say, it is required baptism. You must. It's called the baptism of regeneration, I guess, is the way it's termed. Um, why do I believe it? Look what the next verse says. And those who do not believe are condemned. I would argue if there's an intent here that baptism is required, it would say, and those who they, there's no reason not to double down on this and to say it both ways. So say those who who are believing and who are baptized will be saved, but those who are not believing and not baptized will not be saved or not. Ba- you know, what I'm saying they could have added that in there. They didn't. You know, if you don't believe, you will be condemned. Okay, here we go. John three says the same thing. John three eighteen. If you want to look it up later, look it up later. It says, those who do not believe in the Son of God stand already condemned because they have rejected the very Son of God. Jesus said those words to Nicodemus. And so this idea that what condemns us is the lack of faith. And this faith, church, is not of ourselves lest anyone could boast, but it's a gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. So we know that just based on that, um, and there's other things we'll get into, but I'm not going to go there. But there's other reasons that, that it's, it's not, it's not something to hang your hat on. I'll just say that about it, right? But if you're bleeding, you should be baptized. And if you're not willing to be baptized, you probably should work through that issue, but why not? Why not? It, it's awesome. As a matter of fact, one final touch on this baptism thing, and I'll move off of it. I had a great, dear friend of mine. I want to be baptized, and I meet with anyone that wants to be baptized to say, why do you want to be baptized? Because <laughs> I think it's as important as knowing that you should be baptized if you're believing. I would say, well, why do you want to be baptized? And, and the person said to me, because I want to be sure that I'm saved. That's not going to work. <laughs> you're saved because Jesus died for your sins. You're saved because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. And if you don't know it to be true, you should be seeking God with everything that you have. It should be priority one to know God that you'll be saved in your life. And so baptism will not do that. It's a false sense of assurance. It's as as false as thinking I'm saved because I go to church. I'm saved because I believe the right doctrines. I'm saved because I behave the right way. Those are all lies. You're saved because Jesus Christ died that you might be saved. And His Spirit compels you to believe. All right. Let me see where I'm at here. Okay. So, <laughs> those who are believing and are baptized will be saved. Those who are not believing will be condemned. That's what Jesus taught consistently, by the way. Verse 17, and these signs will accompany those who believe. This is the third, and we're gonna have five, we're going to break them out pretty quickly here, right? But these signs will accompany those who believe. Jesus says, I think there's five of these. In my name, they will drive out demons. Right? They will, you've seen this before, right? This casting out of demons. Um, We know in Jesus' ministry, he did this in the Gospel of Mark. We know that he did this. Matter of fact, we know that he sent his disciples out to do the work. You remember that, right? They came back and uh, it didn't work. Why didn't it work? And he says, you're not believing. So, one of the markers, the signs that will accompany, that will go along with those who are believing. By the way, is in my name, in the name of Jesus, they will drive out demons, or another way you could say, as evil spirits, we driven out in the name of Jesus Christ. It's the opportunity we have. Pray. Do you believe you're in a spiritual battle? Like, do you believe that? And I, why this is tough is it gets awkward here, right? Because you get to get around to people that make me uncomfortable, maybe make you uncomfortable. But the truth is we are in a spiritual battle and we ought to recognize that and not be afraid in my name. Interesting, right? To drive out demons. What we do, we, we pray in the name of Jesus every time, don't we? I did it this morning. In Jesus' name. First thing, to cast out, ekbalo, to, to throw evil spirits out of people's lives to drive them out in the name of Jesus, all right? The second thing, they will speak in new tongues, glosa, right? New languages will come from their mouths. And, and I, again, what I, my ten, I just want to go, you know what? That just means they spoke in Spanish for the first time ever because they could share the gospel in Spanish. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just went to that country and they could just miraculously speak the language, right? Or they trained for years to learn to speak the language so they can go to Chad, Africa, and share the gospel in a native tongue, Right? The word says new, brand new things. God's doing brand new things. These are going to be a sign that will accompany those who, who believe. That's what the, uh, Jesus says here. All right. They will speak in new tongues, and that's exactly what it means. They will, they will use a new language. It means an un, I looked this up because it's bugging me. It means an unblemished language. It, it does. A new, the word new there means something spanky new, like no idea, no understanding what that was till a minute ago. They will speak in new languages, in new tongues. Third, uh, they will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not harm them. I think I broke those out separately. Yeah, they will pick up snakes with their hands. So um, how many of you have seen this done in church services before? You? Yeah? Anyone, have you seen, anyone seen it live, done live, like there, or just on TV? I've seen it on TV or YouTube. Yeah? Um, so I was thinking, what a fun way to spend Labor Day weekend than to handle some snakes. Huh? Jeannie's <laughs> <Gina's> like, no. <laughs> no. I mean, I started thinking, if you if you were to go and bring a snake into church, people would start to pay attention to you. I bet they would pay attention to your preaching a lot more. <laughs> Don't you think that they would if we if we brought snakes into church? I did think that if... Uh, I would think that, I mean, and by the way, um, does it say that they're, let me read the word here. Uh, they will pick up snakes with their hands. It doesn't even say that, my word, Chinese didn't say that to be venomous snakes. Maybe it's a garden, maybe it's just a garden snake, you know. Can you imagine, by the way, I was watching this, and when people do this, they walk around. As a matter of fact, I saw a video from 1967, and it was crazy. They were throwing snakes around the church. Like throwing snakes, Gina. They weren't just sitting there saying like, oh, I'm handling a snake. That's what I've seen in the modern people. These folks were throwing snakes at each other. It was crazy. And I was just thinking, I thought, that's crazy. I thought, I bet you pay attention if you're in that church, don't you? <laughs> Woo! I mean, I, you know, this is i I'm not joking, you know. I thought, if you're, if you're sitting there, I bet you are having a holy moment if you're holding a snake. Woo! Because I would not be caught dead holding a snake. I just wouldn't, you know? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Where it says that they will pick up snakes with their hands. This is something they're going to do, right? Who want, anybody want to try? Put your hand in the box? Nobody? Crazy, y'all are crazy. No, so that's, that's what it is, right? What in the world is going on with this? You know, you might, I, I was doing this a minute ago, I could have done this for everyone of these, but you know, you might say, and yeah, that's just Mark, uh, whatever we're on, 8, 14, 17, <laughs> whatever it is right now. Uh, that's just what it says right there in 16, 17. And that's, that's not in that original codex, so we don't have to worry about it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Can I get an amen, right? We don't have to worry about it because uh, you know what it says in, I think, Luke 10, 27? Jesus sends out his missionaries, and he says, Go out, proclaim the kingdom of God, and when you walk on serpents and scorpions you will not be harmed. The Gospel of Luke. It doesn't say pick them up with your hands. <laughs> it says when you step on them, they ain't going to hurt you. What is this? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Man, listen to me. There's a million reasons to stay home and not share the Gospel. A million. Don't be afraid. Go out there and whenever you meet them on the road, they're not going to hurt you. You can pick up snakes. All right. Next one. We're going to come back to all this, by the way. They will... Um, Uh, When they drink deadly poison, it won't hurt them at all. I cannot fathom a good reason to drink deadly poison of your own. I can't fathom one. I'm not even kidding. Like, I could see maybe if someone tried to poison you, I'm hoping that's maybe the intention of the text here, if someone tries to poison you, don't worry because it's not going to hurt you. You can drink the cup. You can share a cup with someone because you needn't fear what they're trying to do against you because the Spirit of God will prevail in your life. But I can't imagine sitting down and willingly, willfully, knowingly drinking poison to, I would say, test God. I can't see that. All right. But it says if you drink poison, it won't harm you. And it says they will lay hands on sick people and the sick people will get well, right? That's not a different, that's not an unbiblical concept. That you would lay hands on people and pray for them, seeking their healing. Seeking God to intervene on their behalf, I want to go back up to the very beginning. I want to close this out today. This is what the word says. Jesus says this at the beginning of all that, these signs will accompany those who believe. I think it 's important to notice that these things we talked about will come with those who are believing those who are believing what i don 't see said there is they will go out and perform these things as proofs to everyone around them. It says, no, these will come alongside in their ministry and their preaching and they needn't worry because these things will be a present with you in your ministry. They will come along with you as you go. As a matter of fact, the go, go and preach the gospel to all creation. It means as you go. As you're going, disciples, you needn't fear these things, which you could easily fear and stay home from, because God will bring these signs with you as you go. I think there's a little difference there, right? I do. That we're not trying to be sensational, we're not trying to show someone else how fully believing we are, but we are saying, I will not be afraid to go out and preach the good news to all creation, because God will come with me as I go. One last point here. These things were fulfilled in the early church. Read the book of Acts. Amazing things. God was doing amazing things in the church in the book of Acts. He was healing people. They were laying their hands on people. They were casting out demons. I mean, they were doing all these things. I don't know if we have any recordings of snake handling. I don't think we have it. But, you know, these signs were fulfilled as the believers went out into the world proclaiming good news. So we ought not be afraid of that. We ought not be afraid of that. But we also ought not to dwell and make a spectacle, or hang our hats on a minority text and make it the proof of who we are. Why? If you're convinced, convicted that you can drink poison or handle snakes, how about you go love your enemy? Because Jesus commanded that repeatedly: love those who hate you. Do that instead. If this is your big, sh- you know, show, like go do, you know, if you if you think it's Paul says what, you'd be better you be silent and speak in tongues and not love people. If you think it's more important you speak in tongues that you love other people, you're missing the point of the gospel. These are signs that will accompany those who believe. All right, here we go. Verse 19, we'll wrap it up. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up to heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. So we have Jesus. By the way, here's an interesting thing. This is the only time in the gospel of Mark that Jesus is called Lord. Like that. Like Lord Jesus, like a title. Lord Jesus. The only time it happens in the gospel of Mark. After the Lord Jesus, which kind of tells us that someone's showing respect to him, right? The Lord Jesus had spoken to them. He was taken up to heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. He seated himself at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. Verse 20. Then the disciples went out, and they preached. Look at the word. Everywhere. They preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them. And look at what the last thing he says. <coughs> Excuse me. And, a, and confirmed his word by the signs of that accompanied it. There it is, right? That these things that Jesus said would happen, the, the author Mark says, and they did happen. These things that, that Jesus said would come to pass when the believers went out into the world, they came to pass. It's been fulfilled. I said that a minute ago, right? It's been fulfilled. The disciples went out and preached the gospel everywhere and the Lord worked with them. Isn't that interesting? A couple of things I want to say we ought to recognize and rely on that more. You, if you're like me and there's people and you're like, I want to share the gospel with these folks or I want to talk about Jesus or I want to go out in the community and be a light in the dark world, don't believe the lie that you go alone. Don't believe it. You know, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus promises, I'm going to be with you to the very end. Right? When he says, go make disciples, he says, I'm with you. Right? All authority has been given to me. And here, the same idea that Jesus, the Lord Jesus, went with them, worked with them, and confirmed his word as they went. And so Jesus goes with us into these places. Um, Don't think it's you. I don't think it's me. God goes with us. And as a matter of fact, any good work that's done is done by the Lord. We're just there to witness it. The word confirming by these accompanying signs so my last question is, where does the gospel mark end, you know? Maybe you're one of those people and you're like, I, I think the gospel mark should end at eight. <laughs> we could have slept this, taken Sunday off, <laughs> come back next week. Um, some of you are like, man, I love those verses nine to 20. It ends at 20. It's obvious it ends at 20. Pastor, I can see it right there in the Bible. That's where it ends, right? You know where I think the gospel mark ends? It ends in belief. The gospel mark has done its job when you've come to believe Jesus is Savior and Lord that's what you're trying to get to that's what he's trying to inspire us to understand when we've come to faith in Jesus the gospel of Mark has done its job it's finished this work is complete matter of fact I love this and this is um, from John I think 20 uh, John Man, he writes this beautiful, long gospel. Like Mark is so short and John's just effusive. He's going on and on. And this is what he says. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And if you think they're not recorded in John, they're definitely stuff not recorded in Mark. Mark's much shorter than John. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's the point the point. The point isn't biblical scholarship. Jesus rebuked that kind of stuff. You think you're saved because you know the Bible? No. You're saved because you know me. The Bible's about me. That's what Jesus says. The gospel of Mark ends when you believe. My question to you today is do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? I hope you do I hope you do if you don't take a challenge don't stop looking until you get it I don't mean like get agree with me like don't God is more than adequate to reveal himself to you go to God God I'm seeking you maybe that's you today God I don't believe this stuff God I'm seeking you what do you have maybe you've heard some crazy things and you're confused you're not comfortable Say, God, I'm confused. I'm not comfortable. What does this mean for me? Go to the Lord, because what this is about is relationship. It's about him wanting to know his people, and his people to know him. That's why the gospel is written and recorded. So I'm going to pray for us to, together, um, and you can pray with me uh, as you feel led. Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your scriptures. We thank you so much for the revelation that you want to be in a relationship with us, that you, you promise to go with us as we go. Father, I pray a prayer of thanks that we are allowed to go and to proclaim good news, to proclaim your kingdom, your kingdom on earth, that you rule. Father God, for all the times as believers that we've lamented uh, your church or lamented the things you're calling us to do or lamented the state of the world, I pray that we would repent of that and believe that you are sovereign over everything, that nothing happens apart from your hand. And that we can therefore trust you and live in you and live out of your love for us, proclaiming good news to a lost generation. Father, help us to do it. We cannot do it alone. Give us courage to go and preach good news. Father, if there are those here today that don't have assurance of salvation, that they go, yeah, I think, but I'm not sure, I pray that your spirit would work assurance in them. I pray that by your divine power, you would settle it in their soul that they know you and you're known by them and that you know them and that they will be with you forever. I pray that for my brothers and sisters today that, that, that we might have that absolute assurance of salvation. And then I pray for an obedience to your radical Holy Spirit as we would move forward together, that we would listen and obey the things you're calling us to do. Not things that we're making up of ourselves, not high emotionalism, not external displays, but inward realities that we live out of holistically. May you be glorified. We love you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the time we've had in the gospel of Mark. We thank you for your son, who it confesses, that book confesses his salvation. May you be glorified. We pray it in his name. Amen.